0: would get in the way of that, would you just change our minds and our hearts this morning, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Good morning, Overland. Good morning. I come with greetings from First Baptist Church of Smyrna, Georgia. We love you guys a whole lot, and we've loved you since before you were Overland Church. Um, we are one of your ministry partners, which just means that we've had a small part and just giving regular support to the plant that's here in Fort Collins. And um, man, I don't know what I owe you for that introduction, um, but we'll square up, I guess, later. (laughs) Zach and I really cut our teeth in ministry together through those 11 years. And uh, for whatever he feels I've impacted him, he has also impacted me. And I never get tired of being around him. Uh, I never get tired of seeing what he and Jennifer do in ministry I'm grateful for our friendship I'm grateful for the the way that he conducts his life and when I first came to Fort Collins when this was still Southside Baptist Church and saw this building and was praying with him over several locations in the city uh, I was praying that the Lord would orchestrate this place for Overland. and I joined Jack in that prayer as he was seeking the Lord's wisdom and where the building would be, but my first introduction to Fort Collins, it didn't surprise me at all why Jennifer and Zach chose here. I thought, well, you didn't pray about that very long. (laughs) Like, this place is incredible. And uh, the more that I watched the events of the the founding of Overland Church unfold, the more I realized that this was a work that was deeply steeped in prayer and that the Lord had just gone before every single thing. And I'm so glad to, in some small part, be knit together with this. And I celebrate your four-year anniversary with you today. I'm really excited to be able to be here with you. Um, I'm going to open in prayer, and then we will dive into God's Word. You can, uh, if you want to, you can go ahead and be taking your Bibles and turning to 1 Peter chapter 1. And we're going to look together at 1 Peter chapter 1 this morning, verses 3 through 9. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that you have given us this morning to lift your voice to lift our voices in praise to you we thank you Lord that in this place are gathered the saints the local church on the Lord's day to lift high the name of Jesus Christ the praise of God the Father in the power of the Holy Spirit and Lord we ask that right now you would condescend to us and speak to us through your word to use it in its power to transform us and to draw us close to who you are to put in the remembrance of our mind the glory of God, that it may be ever central to who we are and what we do. And Lord, we love you for all these things. It's In Jesus' name we pray, amen. One of the catastrophes of the human condition is our inability to recall, to remember, to bring stuff up. Our knowledge our experience, our emotions, all of those suffer the erosion of memory over time. It doesn't matter what we're doing, everything in our life dulls and trends toward the mundane if we leave it alone. So if we learn, we find later that if we don't exercise that we've lost it, we have to learn it again. If we feel deeply, we find that we have forgotten that emotion or that that emotion has been replaced by something else. If we experience we find that we cannot quite recall the details it just begins to get fuzzy in our minds we are a people who cannot really grasp and remember the writer of ecclesiastes we think it's probably solomon says it this way vanity of vanities all is vanity just meaning that the world is hard to grasp and from a human perspective it seems like We can't really get a hold of meaning in the world because we're often coming to knowledge and then slipping away from it. Coming to some understanding and then losing it. Letting that slip through our fingers like sand. And on this celebration of four years for Overland, your time together as a local church, your time following Christ, your time doing ministry, your time loving each other, your time living as ambassadors of Christ your time fulfilling his commission to be ministers of reconciliation here in Fort Collins, I want to urge you this morning to remember who has called you together. As you grow and deepen as a church, as you form relationships with one another, as you walk through the good times and the bad times, as you laugh and weep together as a church, as you develop your own unique personality and culture here, as you serve together. I was here in this room last night with one-third of your congregation. What a joyful time. It was fantastic to see the the level of service that you guys give to one another and to the Lord and to your city. As you establish all those things, as you come together to make a a foundation for your faith and and, and build your own traditions here as a local congregation, you're going to move forward, and you're going to move forward in such a way that you might be tempted to forget who has called you together that what is central in your mind is not the glory of God but maybe the work of service or some other thing and I want to call you to remember Paul said in Philippians my brothers rejoice in the Lord to write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you you see we're such a forgetful people that even in scripture we're reminded that we must be reminded It's okay to just say it over and over and over again. And my prayer is that you wouldn't just hear this from Zach in a pulpit or from your leaders as they lead different studies or even ministries, but that you would say it to one another. You would call each other to remembrance of the glory of God. Remember the glory of God, the person and the work of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. You must be reminded so that you can continue to persevere we talked about an anchor we sang about an anchor today did you catch that you know christ we call him our anchor and he is an ancient anchor we are anchored to an ancient truth older than anything in our known universe and beyond it there is nothing older than the truth of God's Word and nothing older than God Himself. He is the most ancient and when we anchor to that sort of ancient life only then can we move forward into the future. So you must be reminded if not we tend to forget even the most majestic of things. I'm really blessed that my youngest son Cameron is here with me. He got to come up he's been the first time he's on a plane, first time to come out here to Colorado, first time to see the Rockies uh, we have Kennesaw Mountain back in uh, Marietta and, uh, and uh, Smyrna, Georgia. And Kennesaw Mountain, bless its heart, uh, hardly taller than this building. Um, and uh, it's just a, b- a bunch of flat and then this little hill, you know, of Kennesaw Mountain. And that's the mountain that we do. and We walk up and down it and we pretend like it's real. And then I come out here and I'm like, well, <laughs> all right. And so he got to see all that for the first time. And we, we went up to Rocky Mountain National Park went in to try to drive around a little bit of course with all the snow we couldn't go very far and he was blown away at the size of everything well i was here before i went in the summertime when you could actually get up to the highest point when you could see everything and i was amazed at how much i had forgotten about the majesty of those mountains just being away from them you forget the scale of it you forget what it looks like to drive from denver up the interstate and just look to your left and just see the range there. And I'll never forget the way I felt when I first went into the Rockies. You feel small. You feel overwhelmed at the size and the beauty. It's an amazing thing to behold, and I was amazed at how little I had let myself remember the majesty of those things. So even something like a mountain, we tend to forget. We tend to minimize. We tend to just talk about it as if it's something... Normal. Well, listen to this text out of 1 Peter 4. Um, 1 Peter chapter, uh, chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. May the Spirit bless the reading of God's word to his people. You know, this book, just to give you a, a very brief background of what Peter is doing here, he's writing He says to those who are the elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. That is modern-day Turkey. It's basically 800,000 square miles. So it's a lot of land. It's a lot of area, a lot of regions, a lot of people that could be dispersed into those things. We know that, uh, that Peter is probably not writing solely to Jews, but maybe mainly to Gentiles and he he's bringing them into the fold and Peter would be a great one to do that because he was so Jewish in his convictions and he's bringing these Gentile believers in and he's writing to them to help them to understand how to live in the world as believers and he's saying that you're going to be tested you're going to be put under trial you're going to be persecuted but this is not the kind of persecution that we think of it that that Christians are yet being killed now that was happening in Rome but at the time Peter wrote this letter, probably what was happening is that they were really just experiencing the everyday kind of things that we experience if we live as Christians. So as they went out into pagan cultures, the only thing that we're really given as a hint to their kind of persecution and the things they were facing as trials is given to us in chapter 4. It says in verse 3, for the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties and lawless idolatry with respect to this they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you I don't know how you could write a more contemporary sentence you live in a culture where you can see literally everything it's amazing the kind of what Peter says here, debauchery, people have embraced for their life and they celebrate it. And when you simply live as a Christian and you don't celebrate that with them, you don't partake in it with them, you separate yourself out in a good, godly way, not not rejecting the world and separating yourself from the world, but separating yourself unto Christ as a holy representative of Jesus, then they malign you for it. That's probably the level of persecution that was happening at this time. Of course, you know, it gets much, much worse where there was state-sanctioned killing of Christians at one point, but they're they're not quite there yet. And so this book is written to people just like you. How do you live with hope? How do you live with joy? How do you live with an enduring passion in this world today? So I want to give you three things to remember this morning. One, I want you to remember your past regeneration. Two, I want you to remember your present examination. And three, I want you to remember your future salvation. Look at what Peter gives us here in this text. First in verse three, "'Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again.'" I want you to remember your past regeneration. Regeneration is just a theological word that means born again, raised to new life. It's given life when we were dead. Ephesians tells us that we were dead in our trespasses and sins, but God made us alive together with Christ Jesus. So we've been regenerated. We've been given new life. Though we were dead in our sin, we all sinned and fell short of the glory of God and thereby we, we were dead in that sin. We didn't have any spiritual life. And God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, regenerates us to life. And we see what we're given here. It says, according to his great mercy. How were we regenerated? Because of God's great mercy. Through his great mercy for us. We know that the Bible says, he says to Moses even, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. It says, he has caused us to be born again. Immediately what Peter is doing is stripping away any semblance of of trust in our own hearts to come to God. He's saying to us, we must submit ourselves wholly to who he is. He is the one who saves. He's the one who causes us to be born again. So this being born again is part of our Christian story we can't even come into Christ unless we are born again Jesus talking to Nicodemus says no one can come to the father unless he's born again we have to be made alive and when we're made alive, we're united to Christ and he says we've been born again to three things look at what he says according to his great mercy he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead first thing Born again to a living hope. A living hope. Now this isn't hopefulness like, well, I hope I win the lottery. Or I hope that uh, the Bengals win today. It's not that kind of hope. This is a hope that secures on something. It looks at something that's sure. And it wraps its hands around it. and It grips tight. The better analogy would probably be that that promise grips us tightly. And we trust its grip. That we don't wiggle out or try to escape from it, but we settle into it. We give it our faith. And that's what he's saying here. We've been born again to a living hope. This is a living hope because Jesus is alive. Amen? Amen. Jesus is raised from the dead. We do not serve a dead God. We do not serve a dead Savior. We serve a living God, a living Savior. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Romans 6.4 says, we were buried, therefore, with him by baptism. And we're going to see that today. I hope you'll stick around and watch this miracle service as people are put into the waters of death and raised out alive. Buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Oh, church, as a side road, just remember your baptism. You've confessed that you're his and you have a living hope tied to the resurrection. Look at the second thing he, he promises us. You see that he says to a living hope. In verse 4, he says, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. He's called us then to an inheritance. This is the same inheritance that's given to Jesus and sealed for you by the Holy Spirit. Listen to Ephesians 1, 13 through 14. In him you also, don't miss the words in him, by the way, In him, in Christ, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, or guaranteed, it was a down payment, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Jesus is the son who will gain everything, and you are in union with him, so you will gain everything. What is Jesus is also yours. What belongs to Him belongs to you. Your inheritance cannot be taken away from you. It is imperishable, it is undefiled. That means it's pure and it will remain pure. It will always be there, it's unfading, it will not go away. It's not like just some old t shirt that you left out on the porch for too long and just got old and tired looking. It's going to look brand new for the rest of eternity. It's going to be unfading, undefiled, pure for you. This is your inheritance. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. Jesus says these precious words to us. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you, finish it for me. Rest. Does this life feel like rest to you? When you become a Christian, sometimes it feels like life maybe gets Harder, not easier One of my favorite musicians, Rich Mullins Has written a song that says It's hard to be like Jesus He wrote in another place Life is short, but it's hard We are in Christ And when we come to Him He is faithful to give us rest That is your inheritance, church And not just that He gives us one more thing as we remember our regeneration. i want to pick up. In the middle of verse 5. He says. For a salvation. Ready to be revealed in the last time. He's given us a salvation. That's ready to be revealed. But look up above that. As verse 5 begins. He says. That we have got an inheritance. That's kept in heaven for you. And he says you. Who. By God's power, are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Your salvation is not yet complete. Isn't that good news? That you're not everything God wants you to be. I'm really happy that that's the case. I really want to be way more for the Lord. I want to be used greatly in His work. I want to. I want to. Show the world how a Christian ought to live. I I want to be holy as he is holy. My desire is to honor him in obedience. And I'm not always obedient. But he says he's keeping this salvation for me. He's guarding it and guarding me by faith. So that as long as I just believe in Jesus Christ, he's going to continue to hold me fast. He's going to keep me. And then he's going to give me a salvation to come. Just listen to these words in Revelation 21, 1 through 5. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. The salvation that you have is not too weak to deal with the difficulties of this world. The salvation that you have is not too weak to deal with the death of your infant, is not too weak to deal with the loss of income. It's not too weak to deal with broken marriages. It's not too weak to deal with uncertainty and, and, and dependency. It's not too deal to deal with substance abuse. It's not too weak To deal with all of the problems that we see in the world. Your salvation is being kept for you. In a future place ready to be revealed in its fullest glory. He's going to bring you to himself and dwell with you. Removing every barrier of sin so that you can see him clearly. He makes himself the temple. So that we can come into him. And he's going to make all things new. Whatever hurt you, whatever annoys you, whatever problems you find in this world, whatever trouble you have and you will have it in this world, that's the the scriptural promise. He will make all things new. Justice will be yours. Recompense for the wrong suffered in the world. In every single occasion, Christ is making it new. That's your salvation. On April 6th in 2008 a Green Beret named John Wayne Walding. I mean, a guy named John Wayne. you got to think something good's coming, right? Well, it was a really scary time. It wasn't so good for John Wayne Walding on April 6th, but he was involved in the Battle of Shock Valley in eastern Afghanistan. It was a seven-hour battle in which 15 U.S. Green Berets and 100 Afghani soldiers went in and were put upon and attacked by over 200 insurgents. That was the initial wave. They estimate anywhere from 50 to 200 more showed up. In over seven hours, John Wayne Walding fought in this battle, and a sniper targeted him and shot him in the leg, nearly severing his leg completely. And here's what John Wayne Walding did. He, like any good green beret, took off his belt, grabbed what was left of his leg, folded it back on top of the leg that he had left, and cinched it closed and laid on the ground and continued fighting had a little bit of medical help but that was basically it a tourniquet and half a leg that was still strapped to his body and he lived through the battle as a matter of fact no u.s lives were lost they killed over 200 insurgents they only lost a handful of afghani troops and he fought he said because i knew i was dead So why not continue to fight for my brothers and protect them as much as I could and as long as I could? And then he was brought home. They removed the leg, obviously. He went through rehabilitation. He had to learn how to walk again, how to pick up his son again. Everything was excruciating and painful. But he said, every time I was dealing with something difficult, I just remembered I died on the battlefield. And my salvation had come. He's a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I heard him say with his own mouth, as he spoke to people in our church, when things were hard, when the road back was hard to see, I remembered that my salvation is secure. That I've already given my life. And that's what helps him move forward. How much more so for those of us who have died to ourselves and now live in Christ, But second thing, remember your present examination. Look what it says in verse 6. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. In this you rejoice again. He says, if you then have a little while, some trials that come in, don't be surprised. While you're rejoicing about all this other stuff, your salvation, the regeneration that God has already done for you, look around at your present and understand that you are going to be tested. Every Christian is tested. Psalm 66.10 says, for you, O God, have tested us. You have tried us as silver is tried. James 1 says this, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and that's a word I know you've heard from your pastor, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. God employs the trials of your life to bring you to a fullest expression of the sanctification that he has planned for you. The bad things that happen to Christians are by definition those things that work together for your good. So when we look at our trials, we understand that they have a stated purpose. They, our stated purpose is to make us more fully like Christ. You've been grieved by various trials, in verse 7, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of jesus christ he's pointing us again to the end endure look to what's coming let the tested genuineness of your faith show its greatest effect at the coming of lord jesus christ so what we see here then is a testing that is a participation in the sufferings of christ flip over just to first peter chapter four again and look at verse 12. He speaks to the same group, the same letter. He says, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings. You have been called the body of Christ. What did they do to the body of Christ when he was here on earth? Persecuted murdered the body of Christ. If he, they hated him, will they not hate you also? All of these things happen so that we can share in the sufferings of the Savior who loved us and gave his life for us. So we should not act surprised. Rather, we should rejoice in how often do we, in direct violation of this command, try with all of our heart to keep bad things from happening to us? Now, look, I'm not saying you should go out and run and play in traffic today. I'm not saying that you should do stupid things in order to gain some suffering in your life. But it seems like we sometimes, in the American West, in, the, in, in, in Western Christianity, we sometimes can insulate ourselves. We don't put ourselves in situations where we might be maligned. We don't put ourselves in situations in which we might discover uncomfortable situations. We don't put ourselves in situations where someone might disagree with us. And if we don't do that, how in the world can we do the really hard things when the fiery trial comes? And if we're suffering for the wrong things that we do, Peter says, don't suffer that way. (laughs) Suffer for righteousness. And if we can't just put ourselves in places where we can disagree, be maligned, we don't want to be caustic, rough people that are always running around telling everybody they're wrong. We don't want to neglect from sharing the truth. We don't want to be people who are happy to go along with the fib. We want to be people that endure. Peter knew this really well. Listen to what Jesus said to Peter in Luke 22. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Oh, I'm not sure I'm happy to hear Jesus say that. Because there's a lot that comes before him getting to my faith, right? Right? that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers, Peter. Well, what does Peter say in 1 Peter 5, 8? Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. How do you think he knew that? Satan was after him by name. And here he is experiencing it. 2 Chronicles sixteen nine says this, though. The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. And he who is in us is stronger than he who is in the world. So if the Lord is looking out for you, who can be against you? The answer is no one. Stand fast and remember your present examination, knowing that as he examines you, it will produce in you righteous fruit. So remember that present examination. Also remember your future salvation. Your future salvation. Look what he says. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him. And rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Though you have not seen him, you love him. None of us have ever seen with our eyes the Lord Jesus Christ. But I would hope that every single person in this room, my prayer would be that every single one of us would love him. As is commanded of us in Deuteronomy 6-5, another text that I know you've heard from your pastor, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Not only doing that, but passing that down to the generations behind you so that they can see that you love him. We're commanded to love him. The Psalms are replete with love passages to the Lord. 1 John 4, 9 says, We love because he first loved us. In this is love, John writes. Not that we loved him, but that he loved us and gave himself as a propitiation of our sin. Jesus has gone ahead of us with love ahead of us and has loved us while we were yet enemies of him and he's calling us to love him back how do we love him back first john 5 3 for this is the love of god that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome so when the lord lays at our feet some task we say yes lord use me lord how you will lord Send me where you want me to go, Lord. I will do what you want me to do, Lord. I will say what you want me to say, Lord. I will shape my life around everything that you are, Lord. Make me like you, Lord. Let me be close to you, Lord. Let me have affection for you, Lord. Let me die to the affections of the world, Lord. Let me be with you, Lord. I long for you, Lord. I lay on my bed at night and I meditate on your word and I long for your presence and I want you here. I just want to be with you every moment of every day. Lord, this is love for you. Let me obey you. Let me put away my sin. Let me repent. Let me confess. Do whatever it takes. Look to that future salvation. Remember it. You're waiting for his return and he's working mightily in you through his spirit even now. Our focus should be on Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God, says Colossians 1:15. The firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. And that sounds awfully cosmic, doesn't it? It's big. Preeminent above all things, made all things, holds all things together. But guess what? This same Jesus came down and saw you in your sin, in your worst moment. And he bled for you. He took your sin on his account. And he didn't just take away your sin. Overland, he gave you his righteousness. So that you would be the righteousness of God in Him. He's a Savior who loves you. John writes of Jesus right before He goes to the cross. It says, having loved them, He loved them to the end. He loves you so much. His heart for you is so full of this love. He sings about you. He's a Savior who desperately wants to know you and to see you know Him. And he is committed to you. He will not let you slip through his fingers. I want you to hear this, Overland. We fail to honor the majesty of our God when we forget his life-filling glory. When God becomes mundane, when we think we've kind of seen enough of him, we've had enough of him, we know enough of him When that happens, we fixate on things then that are producing fear and anxiety and apathy in us. We just go through the motions. Our hope then diminishes and we give in to temptation. We retreat. We have this false sense of failure. The the Bible tells you that the gates of hell will not prevail against you. But you somehow believe that you're not good enough. You don't have enough power, enough authority in this world Enough goodness That you're not good enough for Him And you begin to retreat You begin to disobey Him You begin to think low of Him When we were in Rocky Mountain National Park I knew what was there (laughs) I had seen it before But it was really snowy on Saturday and you couldn't see much more than just the peak that was right in front of you and as I was looking I was wanting Cameron to kind of get the bigness of it and he felt it he was like wow this is amazing but I was like I wish you could see past that peak Cameron can you see up here just the trace of that peak that's coming do you see it it's in the haze barely visible but can you see can you just make it the trace of it with your finger can you see that yeah I think I can see that there's more behind it there's bigger peaks it's as far as the eye can see you're not seeing the full scope of it I wish you could see the full glory of what's here it's obscured and friends when we don't remember when we don't have hope, when we don't press into the culture that we have and be bold and rejoice in the sufferings that He brings us, we are allowing the vision of God's glory to be obscured. And what's obscuring your vision of His glory today? Is it sin? Men, is it pornography? Can you not see the glory of God because you're too busy lusting in your heart and with your eyes? ladies what is it for you is it to be honored and respected To have a place above all else is it ministry are you busy doing the things that just need to be done here service is fantastic but if you think you're going to get to heaven through service then you're Badly mistaken. Badly deceived. What is it? Is it unbelief today? Have you not seen the glory of God because you simply have not submitted to him? You've not repented of your sin and given your heart to him in faith. What obscures your vision? I'm here to tell you that Jesus blows away the fog. And he clears it all up and he gives you a vision of himself where you can clearly trace the lines of Jesus even if it's in the midst of some terrible suffering and hardship he will show you himself and if you will look faithfully through the fog you will see him and trace him he will reveal himself to you and Overland if you're going to have 400 years in this building as we all hope and pray that you do it will be because you have remembered your regeneration, your examination, and your salvation. That's how you will cling to him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that you've given us this hope in Jesus. And so, Lord, as we, as we do this final act of worship, Father, we just pray that you would allow us to respond. I know we're going to sing. And, Lord, as we sing, I pray that we would sing with full hearts of faith. And, Lord, whatever your spirit is doing in this room to convict of sin, judgment, and righteousness, Lord, I pray that you bring it to the top. So, Lord, if it's confession of sin one to another, Lord, free the lips of our people to confess our sin. It's nailed to your cross. It's already paid for. It doesn't define us. Let's not hide it. If it's unbelief, Lord, crack the heart of that stony person and give them a heart of flesh. Lord, do it for your glory's sake. Father, if there's mended relationships that need to happen in this room, Lord, I pray that you soften hearts that they may go to one another, confess and ask for forgiveness, Lord, that they would be brother and sister united together in Christ. Lord, if it's just that they need to unite themselves together, to a local body of Christians. Lord, you've established a local body of Christians here at Overland, and we are so thankful for the local church. Lord, you are present in your people. So, Father, we want to see you clearly as we sing and as we respond in worship. Lord, however you're leading us, Lord, do it for your glory and help us to see you clearly, even as we sing. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.